Okay, there's where we are. So in 1994, we started a, a home, we we're doing a home Bible study in 92, uh, even before that. And then I've done home Bible studies for years before that. But uh, a group of people stayed after a Bible study and said, we want to have a church. And I said, well, let's go find a pastor. And uh, we tried to find a pastor and nobody else would come. So, and every guy that I would talk to would say, no, you do it. And, uh, and I would be like, uh, I don't know about that. I tried to pastor a church in Lapine, Oregon. And when nobody showed up, I figured that was it. <laughs> so, but uh, in 1994, we did launch out and started a, a fellowship. And by God's grace, I pastored that church for 26 years. And I've had the privilege of turning that church over to my son, who is an anointed, gifted pastor. I know a lot of guys do this with their son, but my son's the real deal. I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, he's, he's, uh, he's pastoring the church. I actually listened to most of his message this morning. It was excellent. Uh, he told, you know, he's, it's just doing great. So God's done a great work. I'm still part of the ministry there. I'm on the board. I'm involved. But I'm traveling. And I've joined Poyman Ministries and Pastor Bill as you've had him for the last few weeks, uh, last, what, four weeks, five weeks, um, he uh, asked me to come and pick up where he left off. And I don't claim to be the scholar that Bill is, but he's a great guy. I love him. Uh, you guys enjoyed Bill, right? Yeah, it was really a blessing. So um, he asked me to join Poyman about a year ago or so. And uh, so I've been traveling around doing things with Poyman, and that's been fun. And Poyman Ministries, in case you don't know, is a ministry that helps churches and pastors in various situations, uh, whether it be uh, transitional pastoring or sometimes, in, in this case, sabbatical, and uh, your pastor taking a sabbatical. And I, he's the first one I ever heard of that took a sabbatical and had a heart attack. You're supposed to have a heart attack while you're working, right? But uh, uh, praise the Lord, he's doing well, uh, and uh, he had a stint put in this past week, and He's doing well. I met his wife yesterday. I'll be spending some time with Pastor John and <clears throat> getting to know him. Uh, I, I don't think we know each other, but you know, when you have conferences with Calvary Chapels through the years, maybe I ran into him. Maybe we had lunch together. Maybe I'll recognize him when I see, when I see him or he me, whichever that may be. So this morning we are in, uh, we're going to continue the study that uh, Pastor Bill's been doing, and it's in uh, the book of Acts chapter 9. Um, but before we get into the study, I just wanted to tell you this, this story of how my wife and I met. She's not here, so she's going to really get mad about this. Um, so, you know, I was in business and I was traveling and we had to go to New York with my boss. And so I'm on my way and, and we decided to take the train into New York City from New Jersey where we lived. And so we're, we get on the train and, uh, and, you know, we're, we're looking around. There's only one place to sit on the whole train. It's across, right across from this beautiful young lady, who you can imagine who that might have been, and, and her grandmother. And so there we are. We sit down, and, and uh, you know, i kind of looking over at her, and she's looking at me. You know how those things go, you know. And after a while, it, you know, it seemed like she might be interested. And so um, the train all of a sudden entered through a tunnel. And it starts going, it's completely pitch black. And this is the sound that was heard. You, you hear the, uh, they couldn't see anything, but you hear the sound of a kiss followed by a hard slap. <laughs> I'm just saying. And the train comes out of the tunnel and the four of us are sitting there. And, you know, it, it was just a very interesting time. And uh, the grandma... You know, her grandma, she's thinking, it's very rude of that young man to kiss my granddaughter, but it's a good thing she slapped him. And the boss is thinking, I never expected my my colleague here for Chris to be so brave as to kiss this young lady. And I wish she hadn't missed him and slapped me. (laughs) And the boss is thinking, or excuse me, the young woman is thinking, I'm glad this handsome young man, this is my wife, and... She's glad that I, you know, put one on her there. But I wish my grandmother hadn't slapped him. <laughs> and there I was thinking, this is one of the greatest days of my life. How often do you get to kiss a beautiful young lady and slap your boss at the same time? <laughs> That's not a true story, by the way. 
So if you, I should have left it open and let you go ask my wife how that really went. It didn't really go that way. I just tell you that to loosen you up a little bit. Did that work? Okay. All right, let's turn to our Bibles in um, Acts chapter 9, verse 32. And I'd like you to stand with me as I read the Word of God. I like to do this and kind of gets our attention to stand. We honor God, but we also honor His Word, right? So we're going to honor His Word this morning by reading it. So follow along with me in verse 32. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Annas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Annas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And he arose immediately. And so all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. And this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she came, she became sick and died. And when they had washed her and laid her in an upper room, and since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him, imploring him to not to delay and come to them. And when Peter, then Peter arose and went with them, and he, when he had come, he brought, they brought him to the upper room, and all the windows, widows stood by him, weeping, and showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand, and lifted her up, And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known through all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. So it was, so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. So Lord, we come now to your word and we're grateful for your word. And we know that everything in your word has a value and reason for us today. And so today we come with open hearts and a desire to hear and to be not only hearers, but doers of your word. So Lord, call us and speak to us. And, and we're, we're sitting and we're listening. And we ask you to open our eyes to truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. <clears throat> so you've been working your way through the book of Acts here. And, and I know you left off in this section. And uh, Luke now moves from the apostle Paul to now the stories of Peter. And so it could be called the Acts of Peter at this point, but it's really, the book of Acts really are not the Acts of the Apostles, although it's called that, it is that, but it's it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And it's still the continuation of the work of Jesus, right, is, is what the, the book of Acts is all about. So we know that in verse 31, at the end of uh, the section that you left off at, It says that churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and were edified. This is a great time in the church at this point. And they're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. So we know Saul of Tarsus has gotten saved. And, you know, he's, he's now the big threat to the church has been removed. And the church is just going through a sweet time of fellowship. A sweet experience. Um, it's a time of revival. It's a time where the story now shifts, though, to Peter. And God's going to show us some great through things through the Apostle Peter and his stories, the stories in Acts here. Um, Peter mainly ministered up until this point in Jerusalem, but he had gone to Samaria. Back in Acts chapter 8, we know that Peter went with John to the Samaritans to check out the work that was happening with the Samaritans. Remember how Philip was taken over to Samaria and he preached the gospel and then they brought Peter and John in to see, you know, is this the real deal? <laughs> you know, let's bring, let's bring the A team in and see if the, you know, the apostles, those guys. So, um, a couple people got that. I said. <laughs> and you've been studying now through the, the, after that, the study of the, the conversion of Saul and you've seen how you know, Paul the Apostle, and he's going to become an incredible figure in the church, as we know, and he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. But right now, 
Saul of Tarsus has gone off to Tarsus. He's been sent by the apostles to Tarsus. Now he's, he's gone. He's gone. And some, some scholars say he's gone as many as 10 years, even 13 years. But uh, you know, 8 to 10, 8 to 13 years, we don't know exactly. But we know that during that time, he's getting discipleship from Jesus. He goes into the deserts of Arabia at one point. So Paul is, is getting ready for ministry. But Peter is in ministry. He's involved. And uh, this peace and this edification is happening. And no doubt, many of the apostles received imitations from all around to speak in various places, to come and visit churches. So Peter's beginning to do that. He's starting to see, let me spread out a little bit. And so he ends up in this town called Joppa. And Joppa is a very interesting town. I've been there many times. It's called Jaffa or Joppa, Jaffa today, J-A-F-F-A. And it is a coastal town. It's the place where none other than Jonah sailed. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah sailed from Jaffa and headed out into the Mediterranean Sea toward Assyria, coming back around. And uh, uh, so, you know, here he is. He's in Joppa. He's, he's encouraging some saints there. And Lydda is only about nine miles away, nine or ten miles away. Now, Lydda, or Lod, it was called at one time, is actually modern-day Tel Aviv which is where the airport is in Israel. How many of you have been to Israel? Anybody been to Israel? Oh, man, you guys need to go to Israel. It's great. <laughs> I've been 10 times. Let's go. I'm going in November. Come with me. Anyway, um, I think we're full, but I'll put you on the waiting list. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, don't, we, we see in verses 33 and 34, we see this man is there in, in Lydda. And he's, he's, he's paralyzed. He's lame. And we don't, we don't know much about him uh, as often is the case with some of these men, these people, we, these figures we see, we don't know a lot about them most of the time. And in this case, we don't know a lot about this fellow. We just know he's lame. He's bedridden for eight years. That, that's a lot right there. When you think about being bedridden for eight years, I, you know, I've had, to, I've had some injuries and some times where I've had been in bed and I've been you know, unable to do much. And some of you may have experienced that same thing. And man, it's a hard thing. Eight years in bed and, and not being able to do anything, paralyzed, gives you a lot of time to think. And we have no indication, by the way, that this man that, that we first read about was a believer. We don't know. We just know that he was a, a paralyzed man that, that people cared about, and they cared enough about that they, they got Peter involved. And, um, and, you know, you think, how would the world describe this paralyzed man? You know, you think of a, a, a person who's you know, in, in bed. It doesn't even tell us that, there was a, that he was out and about at all. Bedridden, meaning he's just laying in a bed all the time. Maybe he was a beggar like we see back in the Gospels where Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda and the man was trying to get into the pool. Maybe he was like that. We don't know. But here he is. He's paralyzed. And, and people would probably say, man, this guy's, this guy's useless. This guy's hopeless. He's helpless. He, there's not, he can't do anything for himself. Imagine having yourself be talked about that way. You know, you're useless, you're helpless. You're, what do you think that would do to his psyche? This poor fellow is in a bad way. And I'm no doubt depression. You know, no doubt there was despair of life even, even perhaps even suicidal thoughts. You know, when your life doesn't seem valuable or worthless, worth anything, you, you're going to be, you're going to be thinking that way. We don't know those things, but I would imagine that's, that's what he was walking through. Tough, tough time. But God, but God. Here we have, the Lord saw this man. This one man. <clears throat> he saw him. And he said, I'm, I'm going after that guy. And, and so Peter gets involved in his life. Like Jesus saw that man at the pool of Bethesda. And he, he went and he helped him. He raised him up. The guy's trying 38 years. That guy was 38 years. That's talk about eight years. How about 38 years? You're lame. And he's trying to get into the pool. And every time he tries to get into the pool, he can't, can't make it. Every somebody beats him to it and they get healed and he doesn't. And then Jesus shows up and he says, do you want to walk? And the guy, what do you think I'm doing here? <laughs> I don't think that's what he said, but Jesus, of course, raised him up and he went walking and he became a a big story in the New Testament, didn't they? I mean, you know, who made you walk? The, all the Pharisees got all worked up. I, uh, what are you doing walking around? You got no right to walk. It's just what Pharisees do. <clears throat> but we see, just as Peter had done, 
or Jesus had done, excuse me, Peter does the same. He takes this, this man and he raises him up and he stands up and walks. And, and you think about this. Uh, you, you know, you think about what was it in Peter, you know, the thing that, that made Peter able to do these kinds of things, what was it? How could they? Well, the first thing is to note, and you might remember back in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it, they recorded this and they said, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, and they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Let me tell you, if you want to be effective in ministry, in this life, you've got to be with Jesus. It's the withness that's the most important thing in our Christian life. If you're not spending time with Jesus, it's hard to do anything for Jesus, right? But Peter was a guy that spent time with Jesus. First of all, we know he spent three years with Jesus, walking around with Jesus. But then he, he spent time with Jesus. He sought Jesus. He no doubt read the Old Testament over and over again. And any of the New Testament that was written by this time, I'm sure he was, he was into it and studying it and reading it and, and sharing it with each other and, and just being a part of it. He was walking with Jesus. The other thing that we note about Peter in this two stories, because the stories are a bit parallel. You have miracles going on. In these stories, Peter was available. He was available to be used by God. He didn't just stay in Jerusalem where he was comfortable. This is a danger that, uh, for all of us that we can get in our comfort zone and we can just kind of stay in our little comfort zone and just not do anything radical. Don't take any steps. Just step, I'm, I'm good. I got my little Christian life. I got my Christian world and I don't do anything with it. No, Peter was available. He stepped out and, and he, someone said, there's a man, lame man. He, all right, where is he? Let's go. You know, and he was, he was available to be used by God. He wasn't concerned, by the way, with the masses or the crowds. He was concerned with the one. Let me go minister to this one. You know, and this is something I think that's so important for us to realize that it's not a, you know, loving people and being with people isn't about groups of people. It isn't about masses of people. It isn't about big churches. It isn't about mega churches. That's not, that's not what Christianity is. It's a part of Christianity, but that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is us living our lives before one person. Every day. One person, first of all him, and then one person here. And just being available to be used by God in people's lives. This was exemplified by our Lord, was it not? When you think of how Jesus ministered, he had one ruler that he came to at night named Nicodemus. One spiritual ruler. One woman at a well. These are our most famous stories in the Gospels are Jesus ministering to individuals, right? The woman at the well. The woman caught in the act of adultery. The one 12-year-old girl who, who was sick. The woman who had a flow of blood. The 12-year-old girl, excuse me, who had died. Jairus' daughter. The 12-year-old, uh, 12-woman with 12 years of blood flow. Individual after individual after individual. And isn't it true? You don't have a relationship with, with mass evangelism, do you? You don't have a relationship with uh, with God through, and this is how I was raised, I was sort of like no God from a distance, Right? It was, it, you had a relationship with the church. No, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that what we're about? It's a one-on-one. You know Jesus. I know Jesus individually. Each one of us has our own individual relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what he came and gave us. The other thing is Jesus did, or Peter did just what Jesus did. You know, he, he had watched Jesus and, and, and seen him. He was with him for three years. And so, you remember, he did the same thing with the fellow at the gate, beautiful. He walked up and the guy said, you know, alms for the poor, give me alms. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Lazarus, rise up and walk, stand up. And he gave him what Jesus had given him. The other thing is that Jesus, Peter, you know, as he did this, he never took the glory. Notice even the wording in the text. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't say, I'm the apostle Peter. My ring, you may kiss it if you like. You know, he wasn't the first pope, by the way. Just in case you didn't know, uh, he he clearly just laid it out and, and just he just said to the guy, "Hey, Jesus Christ, He's the one who does it." And as we minister for the Lord, we got to remember it's always God who does the work. It's always God who 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 finishes things. 
The other thing, and this is in my, in my title to my message, is faith builders. This is a faith building message as we're reading these things. And, and this is something where Peter took a step of faith. And, and this is a big step of faith. I mean, he could have said, rise up on the walk. And the, and the guy said, I, I'm still lame. I can't. I'm not doing it. Uh, you know, and I haven't tried this. I'm, I, I might try. I should try. I, I don't know. I'm scared. <laughs> Can you imagine? But Peter, of course, had that faith to believe. He took a step of faith to see what the Lord would do. And let me just say to you, you have paralyzed people all around you. Lots of, every, all your neighbors, your friends, people you know all around you are paralyzed in this world. And how much more so in the last few years we've seen it. This paralysis. And they're paralyzed by sin. And they're paralyzed by unforgiveness. And they're paralyzed by grief and brokenheartedness and, and all kinds of things in their life. And you and I have the message of life. We have the message of healing. We have the ability to bring to them something they can't get anywhere else except through Jesus Christ. And we can take them and we have the ministry of reconciliation. We can introduce them to Jesus Christ. I love evangelism. I I talk to people everywhere I go. I'm always telling people about the Lord. And uh, I had a situation yesterday. uh, Pastor John, I'm going to uncover something about him right now. He, He lent me a truck and I get in the truck and the engine light is on to change the oil. And so i like, okay. So I check the oil, and it's probably the blackest oil I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, oh, this is really, because I mean, it's one thing, it's an engine light, they can come, you know, they come on, it's an older truck, whatever. But this was like black as ace of spades. So I, I okay, I got to get the oil change. So I go into a Jiffy Lube, which are not, you know, I, I don't, at home, I don't go to Jiffy Lube, <laughs> but I, I figure I got to get it done, right? So I go into Jiffy Lube, and this young lady's there. And, uh, and so she's going to work up the pricing, the various, they got three different grades of oil, and she's going to tell me all this. And she comes, and then she says, well, let me check your car out, too. And so she comes on, she comes with a list. It's over like $1,200 worth of stuff. I'm like, hey, this isn't even my car, man. <laughs> you know? And she's like, she's like, what do you mean it's not your car? I said, well, it's, uh, it's, it's a friend of, it's somebody I know's car. Actually, I, I don't even know him, but it's his car. And, and, <laughs> and I have his car. <laughs> I've never met him, but I got his car. <laughs> you know? Did you steal the car? No, <laughs> she didn't say that. So then she said, well, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What is this? And I said, and I said, well, this, this fellow I'm here is a pastor, and I'm filling in a church, and this fellow had a heart attack, and so he gave me his car to use, and I'm, and she goes, oh, blank. She just a, a curse word. But she did it before I said it was a pastor. And then, and then I said, I'm a pastor, and she goes, oh, now I feel terrible. And, I, and, and when everybody curses in front of me like that, I always say, listen, the Lord's been listening to you for a long time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, you, the fact that you said it in front of me, like, what's that? How about him? He, he hears you every day. <laughs> and so she, she's like, well, now I feel even worse. <laughs> and uh, I said, look, I don't want you to feel worse. Just maybe the Lord wants to change that in your life. And she's just like, what? And then she goes, you don't seem like a pastor. <laughs> I'm like, what's that mean? She goes, you know, you're not like soft and cushy and mealy and like this. You're, you, you don't seem like a pastor. I said, well, we're not all the same. <laughs> we're a little different. And, uh, and I ended up giving her the information about the church here and tell, talking with her and sharing a little bit more of the Lord with her and telling her to pray with her. And as I was leaving, <laughs> as I'm leaving, my wife is there now. She comes and she changes the oil. I didn't go to the $1,200. Just so you know. uh, she changed the oil. I texted with Pastor John. But she changes the oil. And then as she's leaving, I'm, I'm t- talking with her a little bit about the Lord and about things. And I gave her a Ray Comfort. Oh, this is the other thing that's funny. This is a really funny part. Her name is Wright. Her last name is Wright. W-R-I-G-H-T. I know a pastor named Wright. I said, that's interesting. I know a pastor named Wright. She said, well, my maiden name is Comfort. I said, well, I know a guy named Ray Comfort. <laughs> and I said, he's a famous guy. You should check him out. She phoned him up on, his, on her phone right away. She's going to watch his videos. And if you know Ray Comfort, she's getting the gospel, man. <laughs> so praise the Lord. It was cool. But as I was leaving, I'm just about to walk out the door. And she says, and I'm talking with her, and she says, well, I gotta get to my, I gotta get to my, um, uh, my, my, my guys out here. They're gonna get upset with me. And she goes, they're gonna rip me a new one. She goes, and I go, she, and then all of a sudden she goes, oh, I just did it again. <laughs> I said, it's okay, I'll pray for you. <laughs> but I love sharing the Lord. I just love it. It's so great. I had a situation with a, um, 
you know, one in, uh, in, uh, on a plane recently with a Hindu girl, young Hindu girl. Here she is. She's at the, you know, she's, I, I, I didn't even want to get on this flight. It, I, I fly standby, so I jump on different flights and do all kinds of different things. And this was going to take me the middle of the night into San Francisco from wherever I was coming from. I can't even remember. Um, I was trying to get to San Diego, but I had to go to San Francisco. But anyway, I get on, I, so I'm grumpy about getting on the flight. But then I, I go, Lord, okay, I know you have divine appointments, and I'll do whatever you want. So I go, and I get on the flight. I sit next to a, a girl She's a Hindu. And for three hours, we talked about Jesus. It was incredible. So, I mean, just look for the opportunity. And our attitude and where we are on our attitude at any given time can cause us to either be ready to minister or be grumpy and just be ourselves and walk away and not get the joy that we could get. And Peter was a guy who took these steps of faith. That's my point. Peter was a guy who didn't shy away from giving the love of Jesus to others. And I want to encourage you this morning that you can be the same. God wants to use every one of you. Some people say, well, I'm not an evangelist like you are. And and that's true. Maybe you're not. Maybe you don't have that gift in that way. But you can still be a quiet witness by saying, you know what, can I pray for you? I'll give you another little, this is something I do almost everywhere I go now. I go to dinner, anywhere I go to eat, Whenever the waiter waitress comes over, I introduce myself to them. For a lot of times, people just the, the waiters there, and they're like nobody. I, I want to know who they are. What's your name? Oh, my name's Chris. This is my wife Marion. These are my friends, and, I, and then I say, "Listen, in a couple of minutes, we're going to pray for our meal, and I want to I want to ask you, how can I pray for you? You would not believe what comes out. Floods of tears sometimes, anger sometimes. Like sometimes they're like, "Well, I'm mad at God." I'm going to pray you're not mad at God. <laughs> and just just an open door. Just be open to God using your life. And notice that the man immediately obeyed the word that he gave. When he said, Jesus Christ heals you, the man was like, all right. Now maybe he had heard of Jesus. Maybe he knew about Jesus. Probably had. But he did what Peter told him. Because Peter had that gift of healing at that point. And he practiced prophecy in the man's life when he, he proclaimed it. And he said, get up and walk. And then he, he lifted him up. And the man laid, up, laid aside his bed. And the, the, the results. Here, look at these results of Peter being obedient. Look down with me at verse 35. The results. Notice, notice what it says. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. This is a revival, you guys. All means the whole region came to Jesus Christ. That is evangelism. That's power evangelism right there. But you know, it's interesting. It wasn't a program. Sometimes people in churches get into evangelistic programs. Nothing wrong with those things. But this was a very organic experience of the Spirit. Peter heals this guy, and everybody goes. So apparently this guy was known in the area. People knew who he was. And it's a wonderful thing to see the greater thing. I mean, the man being healed is a great thing, getting up and walking. But the greater thing is that the whole place got saved. It reminds me of the story with Jonah when he finally does does obey and goes to Nineveh. And, you know, he even says to the Lord, you know, I knew you'd be gracious to these people. (laughs) Jonah, Jonah really didn't want any of them to get saved, you know. But the whole town got saved. You know, incredible numbers. Maybe the greatest revival ever took place there in Nineveh. But, you know, here we're seeing all of them believed. And obviously, uh, Ananias being well-known. And and just this willingness to share the gospel like Peter did. The willingness to have the faith to take a step and minister to this man. and, And have that draw the attention. We don't know what God will do when we take one step of faith. We never know what God will do in our lives and through our lives just by one person. I, even my own life, my, my sister, uh, this is how our family got saved. My sister's in a house in southern Oregon. We're all living in New Jersey, and we think they're crazy for moving to Oregon in the first place. We don't even get it. Like, my whole family's up in arms about it. So she's sitting in her house, and my brother-in-law's off working, and they got 50 acres of land, and and she's sitting in this house and she's crying. 
She's just like, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. And a local pastor comes knocking on her door the day she's crying. Isn't that a coincidence? And he opens, she, opens the, she opens the door and she, he says, I'm here to talk to you about Jesus. She grabs him in the arm, pulls him in. <laughs> sits him down, tell me everything. <laughs> she gets saved. That leads to my other sister getting saved, my brother getting saved, me getting saved in the years to come. And then ultimately, I end up pastoring a church, starting a church. Thousands get saved through the ministry back there. Who can tell what God will do by one step of faith? And each of us have opportunities every day to take steps of faith, right? So look for the opportunities and see, see what the Lord will do. Well, you know, here we see now this other story of Tabitha or Dorcas. She's a disciple. And notice this. It says she's full of good works and she is someone who is honored by so many and charitable deeds. She, she's clearly well-loved and respected here. And and the first thing we notice is that Luke describes her that way. She's full of good works and charitable deeds. How would you like to be described when you die? Ornery? No. <laughs> full of good works and charitable deeds. She told me her name was Ornery when I introduced myself. So I'm going, I'm going right there. I'm sorry. You, 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 start, you started it. Uh, so uh, I like to interact. This is fun, right? But, uh, you know, here she is. She's described as a woman full of good works and honor and charitable deeds. What a great thing. I mean, you want something on a plaque on your, on your gravestone. That's a great word, isn't it? And here she is. And, and, and she's so loved and she's so cared for. They send for Peter. They hear Peter's in Joppa. He's close by. He's nine miles away. So it's, you know, it's a bit of a walk. But in those days, they, they could travel easily. And so he comes and he makes the journey over there. And they beg him, though, to come. They're like, you got to come. And then there's, in verse 39 tells us there's these widows that are there. And when Peter gets there, they're showing her all the, here's the little doily she made, and here's the clothes she made, and here's this, you, all these things she crafted and she did. And, and they're crying, and they're like, yeah, she's our favorite person in the whole world. And Peter's like, all right go out. <laughs> I'm sure Peter, you know, I wonder if Peter wasn't like some of us men, you know, when the women start crying, you know, because when they were all crying, I'm kind of like, what do I do? <laughs> how do I, how do I minister to this? You know, I'll, my wife, will sometimes she, she doesn't often, but she does sometimes. And I'll be like, what do, what do you want me to do? I don't want you to do anything. What do you, well, then you're crying. I need to do something. No, it's okay. I just need to cry. See, I don't have that. I don't have that gene. I, I, the men, we don't have that, do we? Do you have that? Like, you just, I, I just sit down. I need to cry today. <laughs> My daughter said, I have three daughters. They say that. My one daughter says it. She said, I said, what are you crying for? I just need it. Okay. But that's what's going on here, you know? <laughs> but, you know, they're crying because she, this woman died, and they love her. Isn't it interesting, though, that the church makes a fuss over a seamstress? This isn't a famous person. This isn't a pastor or an apostle or, or in our case, we may, you know, our world makes a big fuss about actors who die or sports heroes or, you know, things like this. They, they get all worked up and, oh, what a, and they honor them for days and weeks or political figures or something like that. This is a seamstress. This is a woman who made clothes and did charitable deeds for people and cared for people. She was somebody like this that delivered bread and stuff. You know? That's, that's what this woman was. And yet they're honoring her and they're making a huge deal out of her death. Now we don't know what she died of. We're, we, don't, we, don't, you know, we don't see. We know that she says she got sick and she died. And by the way, that kind of flies in the face of the word of faith trip that says you should never get sick and die. <laughs> if you're sick, you don't have enough faith. No. It doesn't say she got sick because she had a lack of faith. It just says she got sick and she died. And, and a lot of us have experienced all that in the last couple of years, haven't we? I mean, so many people, and we, I knew people that died of COVID, and it's been a rough couple of years. And death is not something we like, is it? I mean, to be honest, even though they go to be with the Lord, I still don't like it. I, it's, it gets us all out of sorts. I, I like to say that we were not made for death. We were made for life. And life 
more abundantly, right? We were, we were made to live. And death is weird. Even when they're a believer and we know they've moved on and they're in heaven, it's still weird. And, and we get out of sorts and we, we grieve and that's what's going on here. Sickness and death are part of life. Now, verse 38 tells us Peter came willingly and he ministers to this woman. This small group of people in Lydda, this small group in, 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 uh, from Joppa to Lydda, and, and he's not too busy, he's not too lofty to do this, to come to this woman's bedside. He's asked to come to a woman. And remember, in their culture, men and women, there was a big separation, and women were not as honored as they are today. It was a different world back then. But yet, he comes. And he's willing to go wherever the Lord leads him to serve the needs of others. Did you get that? Peter is willing to go wherever the Lord leads him to serve the needs of others. If God's leading him, he's going to go there. And let me exhort you and encourage you once again that God has things for you to do. Just be willing to go wherever he leads you, wherever he wants you to go. Not where people want you to go, because sometimes people will grab you and make you do things that you don't want to do, but where he's leading you to go. And let him lead you. And as he leads you, you're going to flow in it. It's going to be great. You're not going to be striving about it. And so these widows are weeping. And, 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 you know, it shows that she was friends with the poor. You know, they didn't have social security in those days. It wasn't, you know, when they had poor people, they took care of one another. The church took care of them. So Peter, now here's how he does this. He puts them out of the room. You saw it in the story. Uh, and you wonder, why did he put them out of the room? He didn't have to. He could have just done it right then, it seems as though. But maybe he just needed a few minutes with just her, just this body now, and the Lord. Maybe Peter wasn't that confident about it, and he figured, if I get him out of the room and she doesn't make it, I can just come back and say, well, I prayed, you know, I prayed and it didn't work. <laughs> you know, we don't know. But she, he, he, he kneels down next to the body, and he he, you can imagine him looking fervently toward the Lord and crying out to the Lord. Maybe he didn't want to show, make a show of it. And this, what a contrast this is to the faith healers of today, right? They want to make a show of it. I've always wondered about the faith healers of today. If they've got this gift of healing and they can do this, then why don't they go to the hospitals and nursing homes? Why don't they buy, get a big venue and set it up and have a big stage and have people coming up and falling down and doing all kinds of craziness? If you've got a gift of healing, go to a hospital, <laughs> That's where the sick people are, in case you didn't know. <laughs> they're in the hospital, they're in nursing homes. That, that's, that's a good place to go if you have the gift of healing. But maybe, again, he wasn't sure what the Lord had in mind. But you, you ever think about what Peter prayed when they left? I mean, I'm, this is just speculation, but maybe he said something like this. Lord, you know how much these people love Dorcas. And, and I know you love her even more. And, uh, and more than they can even imagine. And, and, and you must really be having a, uh, having a great time having her with you. And I'm sure she's not wanting to come back. <laughs> you know, I, I always thought that about Lazarus too. You know, he's dead for four days. And when they called him, he's going, no! You know? <laughs> but if, it, if you could spare her a little longer, Lord. Maybe he prayed it like that. Lord, if you, if you could send her back, it's, it would bless these people so much. And I'm just, I'm just asking on their behalf. Would you, would you heal her? Would you raise her from the dead? Maybe it was a prayer of something like that. We don't know for sure. But nevertheless, your will be done. I'm sure he prayed that. And he, he gets that gift of faith and that gift of healing. And he, the Lord hears a prayer and she wakes up. You know, I, I prayed a couple of times for people and had them be healed in my life. Only a couple of times. But I remember one time a lady had cancer and she, we prayed for her. And she came back to me the next week and told me the cancer was gone. And I said, well, it must have been a coincidence. <laughs> I didn't have the... And I, then I, later on, I said, no, I guess the Lord really healed her. But, you know, I thought, how can it really be true, Lord? Is it really true? And she went on and lived for years and years and had no cancer. And they said she had cancer. So it was confirmed. So, you know, it's happened a couple of times. You ever wonder why the Lord doesn't heal as much today, it seems as though, in the, in the scriptures? And maybe he does heal as much. But maybe it's spread so much around the world that we don't always see it, right? I hear about healings and things in the mission field all the time. And a lot of times these healings, notice these healings and these, this resurrection, this is drawing attention 
to the gospel and to Jesus Christ and to the work that's about to take place for the Gentiles. Remember, this is a Gentile region Peter is in. And this is preparing the time when he's going to go meet Cornelius. And there's going to be a whole explosion in the Gentiles. Peter helps her to her feet, her feet, takes her to the saints and the widows, delivers her, brings her to him. And as in the story of the paralyzed man, the report spread throughout the region. And, and in this case, it doesn't say all, but notice the text, it says many believed. So Joppa wasn't quite as much a revival as Lydda was. But salvation of many. And miracles, God uses miracles to draw attention to the gospel and to the finished work of Christ. And, and you know, I don't know everybody here today, and if you don't know the gospel, if you don't know Christ, this is the thing. The most important decision you can make in your life is to open your heart and put your trust in Jesus Christ, who's God the Son, who came from heaven to earth and died on the cross for your sin and my sin. And Christianity is not about being good. He didn't come to save good people. He came to bring dead people alive. You, you can't, you, you're not good. People say, oh, they're a good person. No such thing. There's only one good, Jesus Christ. There's one good. Everyone else is a sinner. Now, there are, diff- there are people who do good things and benevolent things and all that, but our hearts are exceedingly wicked. And we need salvation. We need a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. And He came and He died on a cross of His own volition. And on the third day, He rose from the dead. And He's alive today. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And He's praying for us right now. He's praying for his church. He's praying for you individually. And if you don't know him, if you've never been born again, he's particularly praying for you. And he wants to draw you into his kingdom. And you can have that opportunity today to know Jesus and to be, to know you're going to heaven. Listen, everybody else that's in here that knows the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, we want you to go to heaven with us. We're we're, we're taking a trip. We're going to heaven. Do you want to come? We're inviting you to come. And the way to come is to know Jesus Christ. And I, maybe everybody knows the Lord here. I don't know. But I preach the gospel, so that's between you and the Lord whether you're going to respond. But there's some things in these stories I want you to see and as, I, as I close up this message. These faith-building stories, what do they do for us? You know, you read these stories and you go, okay, so a guy was healed and somebody's risen from the dead. And you can sort of just read them and go, oh, those are interesting stories. But what do they do for us? First of all, they produce hope. They produce hope. Hope in healing, but hope in knowing God, hope in the whole work of God. And they produce, they build our faith. They take our faith and, and, and the Lord in his church is all about walking with God. So you see this paralyzed guy who gets up and walks. Now he's walking with God, right? So it's a picture of our life. We're paralyzed in our dead and our trespasses and sins. We're paralyzed. But God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive together with him, and he brings us so that we can walk with him. And then Ephesians in that same book tells us, walk, therefore, in the, in the place in which he's called you. That's what the Christian life is. It's a walk. So we have a picture of a paralyzed man who can't walk, but now when he knows Jesus and he comes to Christ and Peter heals him, he can walk, Right? So it's a great picture for us, and it's a great building of our faith. And the same with the death experience. We see that she dies. She's dead. We are dead in our sins. But God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive together with him. He brings us life. That's what being born again is, right? That's why we call it being born again. Because you go from death to life. And what a wonderful thing that is, right? We're alive. But the other thing that this faith-building story does is it, it makes me want to share my faith more, doesn't it? When you read this and you study this, doesn't it make you want to go out and pull somebody off the street and say, are you paralyzed? <laughs> Do you know you're dead in your sins? <laughs> it's a good way to start a conversation. <laughs> so being willing to share and venture out in faith like Peter did, and you're going to experience a, a, a blessed hope in that, and your faith will be edified. I had an incredible experience in Austria about a week or so ago. I was in Austria. I was in Geneva, Switzerland, and then Austria. And as we got to Austria, we were going to a conference. And my other friend, who's a pastor over there, we pulled up to the place, and he had his lanyard on already from the conference. And the lady in the area—it's it's in uh, uh, Milstadt, Austria. It's a castle there 
where Calvary Chapel owns a, a building, a, pro- a property, and we've gone there many years. And she immediately recognized, and she said, oh, you're, you're going to the, the, they used to call it the cult place <laughs> down the road. You're going to the, the, the conference there. They're, that's this week. Yeah, yeah. And she said, what do you Christians think about, and she went through a whole diatribe of political things, of, of things about COVID. Everyone else to talk about COVID. I'm so tired of talking about COVID. And, and of this, and everybody's got their own stories. And what do you Christians think about that? And I was very interesting. I thought, so she thinks we Christians have a different perspective than other people. And then she had some really wacky theology things she started talking about. We were just like, walked away when, I don't know what she's talking about, but we, we know this. She knows she needs Jesus. So I was there staying in the place with another pastor. And the next morning we got up and we're sitting outside and we're doing some devotions. We're singing and we're reading the Bible and I'm playing something on my, on my phone. And she walks over and she goes, uh, so sorry, but it's very early and you're waking the people up. And I'm like, so we turned the music down. But I said, sit down and you want to listen to some of this music with us? We'll keep it quiet. She said, okay. She sat down. And for the next 45 minutes, this other pastor and I got to answer her questions. And she gave her heart to Jesus Christ sitting right there. And, just, and, and, and this area, by the way, this attitude toward the castle and toward Christianity in that area is very cold, very hard. And to have an Austrian come to Christ is like, when I told people at the castle when we went to the conference, they were like, somebody here got saved? And, and, and then, I, you know, we always, I don't know about you, but I doubt sometimes I think that the Lord did it. And then I think, well, did you, did you really get saved? Or was it just me being a good salesman or something? You know, did you just want to get rid of the pastor? <laughs> so, oh, you want me to pray? Okay, let me add it. The next day I had to go talk to her about something and I'm talking with her. And I said, her name was Doris. I said, Doris, how about, how did you like the conversation we had yesterday? She said, oh, I, I, I haven't stopped thinking about it. And I said, really? She said, you know, you come here to stay in my little place. It's a little pension, they call them, like a bed and breakfast. She said, you come here to stay here, and now I have Jesus. And I was like, whoa, it was so cool. And you know, it's, I don't tell you that to tell you, wow, look at me, what an evangelist. I, I tell you that to say, we get to do this, guys. This is our privilege. And Newburgh, Oregon needs Jesus, doesn't it? And every town around here needs Jesus. And you know what you are? You're Jesus to them. You are the epistle. You are the reconciler. You and I. And so go into all the world and do what? One person do it. Go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Share the love of Jesus Christ. Be willing to take a step of faith. Be willing to go out of your comfort zone and realize that the greatest miracle that takes place is not somebody being risen from the dead. And it's not somebody being raised up to walk physically. The greatest miracle that takes place is what happened in Doris's heart that day. And it's what happened with all these people in Lydda and the many in Joppa. And it's what's happened to you and to you and to me. It's that Jesus Christ, the person of the Spirit, has come and lives inside me. And I've been born again of the seed of the Spirit. And I know Him, and I'm going to heaven because of that. And listen, to me, if you can, I I marvel how people can make this story boring. (laughs) Like, how can you make, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened on planet Earth. And even when anybody who starts talking about great things that go on in the world, I say, well, I know the greatest thing that ever happened. You do? What is it? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's the greatest thing, is it not? And so the other thing, one more thing I see here is, is just what we deem sometimes as the most important people in the body of Christ. You know, we think of the pastor or we think of the elders or the worship people, or the church thinks of the seamstress. This is who's valuable. And maybe you're more like a seamstress. You're a behind-the-scenes person. You're not less important. You're not in a lower place. So let God use your life. He wants to use every one of us in our callings and in our giftings. So may the Lord increase your faith and, and help you to see 
people the way he sees them. And may he open doors for you this week. Here's a prayer to pray tonight before you go to bed and first thing tomorrow morning. Lord, bring somebody into my life that I can tell about you. I'm going to tell you something. You pray that prayer, you're going to be preaching the gospel tomorrow. You'll be sharing with somebody. It might, and for you, it might be simple. I'll give you one last story. There was a young lady I was talking to at my uh, daughter's house a week or two ago, and she used to come to our church, and I'd known her for years. And she said, she said, oh, Pastor Chris, I hear you talk about it, and, and I just can't, I, I'm so, I, I want to I do more for the Lord, and I can't do it. I'm so weak, I'm so, I'm so, I'm just a, a quiet person, and I never do, and I said, well, no, you know, God uses you in your way. And she said, I don't know, I don't know. And then she said, well, there is this one lady that I said to her, you know, I pray for her. And, you know, she calls me all the time and asks me to pray for her now. And I've been sharing scripture with her. And she's reading it. And I give her a book to read and she's reading it. I said, what are you talking about? God's using you. You know, because it's not mass evangelism and you're not Billy Graham Jr. I mean, come on. God's going to use you the way he wants to use you. And that might be with one person in your neighborhood or one person at your job or somebody at the school, you know. Can't assume every one of you, you guys, class members are Christians, by the way. A lot of people go to Christian schools because they, their parents say, you're going. <laughs> By the way, welcome. Good to see you guys. May the Lord open doors this week to share with people who have paralyzed lives and some who are dead in their sins, who need the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we're grateful today for your word and We ask you, Lord, now to uh, just confirm in our heart those things that you want to speak into each of our lives. And Lord, I pray each one of us leave here with some some tidbit, some nugget that we can walk away saying, yes, that's that's what I'm going to do. That's what I, I heard today. And Lord, I pray for each person that if there's anyone with us, Lord, today that does not yet have that personal relationship with you, that even right now you would draw them to yourself. And I ask everyone to remain with your heads bowed. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, and you want to do that, I want you to go ahead and look up at me right now. And I'm going to acknowledge you. Is there anybody today who'd say, I'm not sure about my own walk with the Lord. I'm not sure I'm even a Christian, but I want to be a Christian. And I want to open my heart today to Jesus Christ. Anybody, just go ahead and look up at me if, you, if that's you. Well, Father, you know every heart in this room and it seems as though we all know you, Lord, and that's good. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us today to know you more and to walk with you more and to serve you with our lives. Take, this, take these vessels and do what you will. In Jesus' name, amen.